0: Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for Worship the Word and Fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. Amen. Once again, welcome to Way Family Church. We are so glad that you're with us today. Uh, I would just like to take a moment to honor the children. That was so awesome of them to come up and shout Hosanna to the King. Amen. Our courageous King who brings peace. In fact, that's the title of our sermon today, The Courageous King. Uh, Today marks the beginning of a very special week, something we call Holy Week. And I'll talk more about that here in a second. But I just want to quickly recap Uh, What Weston preached last week, he uh, brought the word and, and opened the Easter series with a brief overview of the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. The one whom many were anticipating, and he arrives. He comes, and Jesus uh, and Weston gives us an overview of what his ministry looks like. See, the Christ was foretold since the earliest days of human existence. He had been foretold by several prophets, and each and every time there was something else. It made it almost impossible in fact i'm not going to say almost literally impossible for anybody to fulfill all of these prophecies except for god alone only he could do what he could do these things were foretold of the messiah and it would literally take a miracle for anyone to be fit enough to be the christ but then jesus is born merry christmas right And it was indeed a miracle, for through this child, hundreds of prophecies are fulfilled. And when I think about the amount of prophecies that Jesus fulfills just in his birth, life, death, resurrection, and everything else... Mind-blowing. No one could plan this for themselves. No one could strategize such a thing. This was definitely, 100%, a God thing. No one could ever qualify to be a sinless and perfect Lamb of God without stain and blemish, except for God himself. Because we are all born of sin. This world has fallen to sin. But God, oh, he's perfect. He's stainless. He's beautiful. He's amazing. He's the only one that qualifies to be the Christ. And so he comes, and behold, I want to read from you from Luke chapter 2, 12 through 14. This is a Christmas story here. It says from Luke, For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was. With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. Now, what an introduction to the Christ, that an angel would introduce him. And with the angel, a heavenly host. You know what that means? A multitude of angels were with him, and they were praising and singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased this is the king of peace this is the king that we celebrate today jesus christ arrived in the flesh amazing if that doesn't give you goosebumps i have to maybe rephrase that so that you start getting it like god took on flesh guys That's a big deal, so that we would see him, so that we could be with him, so that we could learn from him, so that we can know him. And it's a beautiful thing that Jesus does. And then Weston, he's not here today, unfortunately, but he brought in this this beautiful picture of what Jesus' ministry looked like. And he started at the age of 30. He started with a very powerful ministry. This is why I tell a lot of folks. Once you're 30, you're at the respectable age. <laughs> so if you're going to, if you have any crazy ideas, wait until you're 30. Okay, and then decide whether or not you want to do that. That's the respectable age. Because that's when Jesus started his ministry. That, that's not biblical, guys. Okay, that's just me right there. But Jesus starts at the age of 30 and he begins a powerful ministry in teaching, in healing, and proclaiming the gospel of God. This is what he dedicates himself to in three years of this. And he changes the world. Wow. He's doing things that infuriate religious leaders at the time. These people were supposed to be the examples of godliness. And instead, Jesus is coming and he's rebuking them. He's exposing their hypocrisy. He's exposing the sin that's in their midst. And of course they don't like that, right? Of course they're bothered by that. But Jesus is not worried about the fear of man but rather the fear of God he knows what truth is and did you did you know that truth stands when you have the truth on your side you can be bold you can be confident you can rest assured that it is going to stand because at the end of the day truth is what stands it is fundamental it cannot change and so Jesus confronts these people he confronts people and challenges their hypocrisy the religious uh, 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 behaviors that are worthless he's confronting sin And who likes their sin to be confronted? Raise your hand. None of us like our sin to be confronted. Nevertheless, it's important. And Jesus is changing people's lives. And he's drawing greater and greater crowds. And this man, the Christ, is now surrounded by many, many people. A multitude of people. Everywhere he went, it was a commotion. In fact, we have records that he feeds the 5,000 and then he feeds the 4,000. And this is just men. Like, this is a lot of people around Jesus to the degree that he strategically has to get away here and there because people are seeking him. They're pursuing him. They want to know more about him. And so, of course, that makes the religious leaders of the day furious. This is a challenge to them. This poses their comforts. This poses their status and position. And so they don't like him. And those, time after time, they sought to, to kill him. They hated him enough that they attempted to kill him, but his time had not yet come until this moment on Palm Sunday. And that's what we're going to look into today. And so Jesus heads up to Jerusalem. We sang that beautiful song that tells his the story there. Jerusalem is the epicenter of Judaism. Jerusalem is the epicenter of the hatred for Christ. Jerusalem is literally the worst place for Jesus to be and his disciples because that's where they hate him the most. In fact, the hatred for Jesus, the Christ and his followers is, is, is origin, originated from there. And Jesus goes and he teaches him parables and he predicts his death. He tells his disciples... I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be sacrificed. And even Peter says, no, Christ, you will not do that. (laughs) But Jesus rebukes him because he knows that this must be done. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows that he must go to Jerusalem. And not just that, but now, until this moment, his time had not yet come. But now his time is here. And this is Palm Sunday. Read with me in Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to hang out today. It's a larger portion of Scripture, so I couldn't fit it in your, in your little notes there, but follow along with me either on your Bibles or the screen. And it says this, we read the story of the triumphal entry, Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 48. It says this. And when he had said these things, speaking of parables, anticipating his death, um, he was with Zacchaeus uh, before that. Who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Hey, why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered in the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time in your word, Lord. This moment that we have to remember the event of the triumphal entry. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand what's going on here, Father. That we would not be like these, Lord Jesus, who did not know the time of your visitation, Lord Jesus. Help us see you now. Help us, Father, understand you. Help us, Lord Jesus, move according to your will and your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, Palm Sunday, the beginning of what many call Holy Week. Now, it is the beginning of the end of the Lord's ministry here on Earth. And so uh, this is what the final week of ministry looked like for Jesus in case you're not uh, uh, familiar with it. On Sunday, which is marked by today, the beginning of Holy Week Sunday, we see the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is where we see Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. Monday, you see the cleansing of the temple. On Tuesdays, there's controversies with Jewish leaders. Wednesday is an apparent day of rest, although I personally think that the Lord continued teaching. Thursday, there's preparation for the Passover. Friday, there's trial and crucifixion. On Saturday, Jesus rests in the tomb. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus is raised from the dead. This is what Holy Week looks like. And if you didn't know, the Jewish day went from sundown to sundown. It's not like we have it today where midnight marks the next day. For the Jews, it's sundown that marks the next day. So on Thursday, as they were preparing for the Passover, they had the Passover, what we would call that same evening. But for them, it was the next day. Because as soon as the sundown went down, that was now Friday. That's when Friday started. That's the way the Jewish calendar works. In case you're sometimes a little confused of the timing here, it's from sundown to sundown. And so I'd like to walk through... uh, through with you with this passage that we see here, because this, if we pay close attention, this is a very intentional thing that happens here. It is precise. This does not happened by coincidence, but rather this is the Lord's perfect and sovereign plan for the Passover lamb to die on the Passover. And I tell you, these religious leaders that hated Jesus, they would do anything to kill him except for on the Passover. That's a no-no. They had no jurisdiction to do that then. They would not want to do that on their own accord, but any other day would be great. However, G- uh, the Lord ordained that the lamb would be slain on the Passover. And so I'd like to show you, through the intentionality of this triumphal entry, i also like, like to walk uh, th- through with you and show you a little of the preparations that we see here. We also see a moment of praise, and so there's this time of praise and celebration at the same time we see the heartbreak of jesus because everyone's celebrating everyone's praising but as we just read jesus is heartbroken in the situation so what's going on there and then we'll close it with the cleansing This is the the amazing power that Jesus has to cleanse things, right? And so what we see from this passage, all of which are pivotal to the fulfillment of God's promises to redeem his people from slavery and slavery to sin. So let's walk through it together. Let's look at the preparations that we see here. Let's read uh, verse 28 through 36 again together. And it says this, And they went and he had said these things, again teaching parables, And then he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Anytime that you see anyone going up to Jerusalem, that's because Jerusalem was a higher altitude. So it didn't matter what direction you came from, you would always go up to Jerusalem. Okay, and so they're going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage, which is just a town outside of the the city of Jerusalem, and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, which is also known as the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat untied and bring it here and if anyone asks you why are you untying it you shall say this the lord has need of it so those who who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owners said to them hey why are you taking why are you taking this colt? why are you untying it and they said the lord has need of it and so if we look at other passages that tell the same story in matthew mark uh it all it says that the the owners let them just take it there's no problem with them taking it and so they set jesus on it and he rode along and they spread their cloaks on the road and as he was drawing near uh on the mount of olives the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and so this if we look closely we have this preparation that the lord jesus was very intentional with he knew exactly what he was doing none of this happened just by coincidence but instead this was the perfect plan of god and so he had already made preparations for his arrival at Jerusalem. And it is clear to me that the owners of the donkey that we see here and the colt were also disciples of the Lord. And they had had it ready for him. Now, the, the Lord sends two of his disciples, which, by the way, we're not sure who those are. I'm not very confident that it is two of the twelve, because when I read the, the, the gospel of Luke, Luke is very intentional with saying, and, and one of the twelve and some of the 12 and so and so of the 12 right but in this case he just says in two of his disciples now i'm not this i'm not saying that it wasn't two of them. i just don't know right but we also see that there's a multitude of disciples with him but all of this is done on the hush hush all of this is intentional all of this is part of the plan it's preparation and then you see the owners of the donkeys and the instruction that the lord gives them is hey tell them that the lord has need of it now if you don't Recognize Jesus as Lord. Why would someone give you that instruction? The Lord has need of it. Oh, it's very evident that, okay, the Lord, that means Christ Jesus. And so I see that these were probably disciples of Jesus as well, and they had the colt and the donkey ready to go. This was part of the plan. Now, uh, I believe that this was the case because, you know, it was important to be quiet again. Hush, hush. We can't stir the pot right now. It's too early the passover is not yet here this is going to be perfect and it's it's clear that the jewish leaders had already decreed that anyone confessing christ at this time would be excommunicated it is clear that that decree had already passed. The religious leaders had already determined that. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do carefully right now. It's important to do this well. John 9, 20 through22. This is in regards to the parents of the man that Jesus healed, that was born blind, if you remember that story. The Jews interrogated this parents, and it reads this: His parents answered, "We know that this is our son." But the, and that he was born blind but how he now sees we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him he is of age he will speak for himself look at this verse his parents said these things because they feared the jews for the jews had already agreed that if anyone would confess jesus to be christ he was to be put out of the synagogue this was a big deal for a jew right they didn't take that lightly it's not like oh it means you won't be able to go to church oh well No, no. to be able to go to synagogue was to be able to fulfill their 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 uh, just commitments as Jews. And so to be excommunicated was a big deal. And so we see that they feared him. So anyone who was associated with Jesus was at risk at this point, especially in Jerusalem. And so we have this plan. This is going to work together. And in addition to the threats of excommunication, the fact of the matter uh, was that the religious leaders had already planned to kill Jesus as well. So not just a threat to those who follow Jesus but more so to Jesus himself. In John 7, 1, we read that in regards to Jesus, he would, go, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jerusalem's in Judea. Now other passages make this clear as well. Now this made it all the more important to lay low and protect those involved in the plan like the owners of the donkeys. Now, another piece of this crucial plan is the donkey itself. Did you notice the donkey? We often think of the donkey as a lowly animal, but to the Jews, it was a beast fit for the king. Now, I find this fascinating about it. The, the donkey's always involved to do the work of the Lord for some reason. I think back at Balaam. Balaam's on his way to curse the nation of Israel, but this donkey sees an angel, he holds him back, and he speaks to, to, to Balaam. He says, Do you not see the angel? Donkeys must be special, right? And then we have Jesus who's being transported while he's still in the womb. Mary and Joseph travel with a donkey, right? I don't know why the Lord picks the donkey, but it is a very humble animal, lowly, right? It's it's an instrument of the Lord. And now we see that he claims the donkey as well to be able to enter triumphantly, to be declared as a king, because the donkey in Israel was truly fit for a king. It was. Now, the way he used the donkey, though, was very important because it symbolized peace, it symbolized humility, for if a king entered a nation in a horse, that was a declaration of war and power. But if a king entered in a mule or in a colt or in a donkey, that meant humility and peace. And so I'll show you an example here. First Kings one thirty-three. David, the king at the time, says to his prophets and priests, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And if we continue this story, we see that that David is asking his servants to put Solomon on his donkey, on his mule, because they're going to introduce him as the new king of, of Israel. There was a lot of stuff that was going on, and so it was important to introduce Solomon as the legitimate king of Israel. And so this is how Solomon is introduced. He's put on this donkey, on this mule, and he's brought into the nation, and he's anointed as king. This is why this animal was absolutely suitable and fit for a king because of the meaning behind it, because of the expression that came with it. And so, like Solomon, Jesus also rode the colt. Verse 35 in our passage here, chapter 19, says, And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now, the fact that the colt had never been re- ridden is a very important thing to note here. You, Kids, if you ever see a pony, those don't just jump on it. Okay? You have to make sure that you can ride the pony. All right, Baby colts don't know the feeling of having someone on their backs. They don't know it, and so what they'll do is they'll buck. They'll buck wild and they'll try to get it off because they are scared. And so the fact that this colt has never been ridden is amazing. Why would you put someone of high value on such a threatening situation? Think about that. But this cult was important. And then they set the cloaks on on the cult and then they put Jesus on him. But yet the cult submitted to Jesus. And this makes it really beautiful. And to me, this is an indication, an illustration of the Lord's sovereignty over his creation. Again, there's something about these donkeys. They just know the Lord. (laughs) Right? And so he submits to Jesus. This baby colt. This is unheard of. You don't. You have to break this kind of animal, meaning you have to tame it to be able to ride it first. And yet Jesus is sovereignty over his creation, and he's able to ride this donkey, baby donkey, and it's totally at peace with it. And so the laying of the garments on the animal and on the road were also a very important part of the traditional Jewish reception for royalty. That's how you would uh, welcome a king into the nation especially the waving of the the palm branches, the waving of the palm branches. Oh, that was fit for a king. You don't do that just for anyone. And so if you see the picture that's going on here, Jesus is actually getting ready to walk into Jerusalem for the purpose of a celebration, for the purpose of a party, for the purpose of praise, for the purpose of adoration, for the purpose of worship to him. And this has not happened before. In the three years of his ministry, he has not permitted such a thing. But now there is a time of praise. That's the second thing that we're going to look into. Let's look at verse 37 through 40. It says this. Let me get back to that page. How perfectly planned this was that if people would not praise Jesus in this moment, the very stones will. Somebody will do it. It might as well be us, right? And so we see this beautiful moment of praise, of celebration. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the only time that Jesus permits a public demonstration of praise on his behalf. The only time. This is God in the flesh. And yet he didn't permit it until this time. Now, until this point, anytime Jesus would do a miraculous work in people's life, what would he say? Don't tell anyone. My time has not yet come. And now he's allowing it to happen because his time has come. The praise is fit for the king. It's good. It's suitable. He permits it for the purpose of fulfilling prophecy. He permits it because it must be done. Otherwise, the rocks will cry out. Right? Zechariah 9:9 says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is prophecy about the king." And he says, "Shout out loud, O da- daughter of Jerusalem, behold your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." Now, I have no idea how much of this was understood in that moment. I have no idea if the people who were waving palm branches in the moment were thinking Zechariah 9.9, you know, I don't know. But I do know that some of them were thinking this is the king, this is the redeemer, this is the Messiah, because the words that they use to praise come straight out of the Messianic Psalm 118. Sandy read it earlier today, you know, and they have this in mind and they so they know. And maybe there's a mixture of, of genuinity here and a mixture of just mob mentality. Where it's like, wow, those people are having a party. Let's go, right? Let's just wave. This is the guy. This is cool. This is awesome. Yes, you're so awesome, you know. But they don't really have a clue of what's going on. And I do imagine that some people were genuine in what they were doing. Psalm one eighteen. This is the psalm, the messianic psalm that they quote. At, uh, verse twenty five through twenty six. It says, "Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success." Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, let me read verse 25 to you in the literal language. All right. It says, "Hana Jehovah, Yassana, Hana Jehovah, Yassana." They're saying, Hosanna. Hosanna to the king. They realize that this is royalty. And so they're lifting praise, not just royalty. This is the Messiah. This is a big deal. And so verse 38 of our passage in 19, chapter 19 in Luke says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this sounds a lot like the beginning of this gospel. How many of you guys have read the gospel of Luke? Don't lie. If not, I challenge you to go read the gospel of Luke. It's an excellent account of the life of Jesus. If you don't have the gospel of Luke, you can read Matthew, Mark, and John as well. Okay? Okay. <coughs> And so it sounds a lot, lot like the way that Dr. Luke opens this gospel here with the angel's announcement. says, peace on earth when Jesus comes. And now they all exclaim, peace in heaven. And I think this is fascinating. As I'm studying this portion, I'm thinking, why in heaven and not earth? How did it flip here? Well, definitely this. Jesus is truly the king of peace. This is the king that brings us peace. But because the king was rejected, there could be no peace on earth. That was rejected. It's amazing. It's like, what? Instead, Luke chapter 12, 49 through 53, I'm not going to read this portion to you today, but you can make a note of it. Luke 12, 49 through 53, it tells us that there would be bitter conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel. And so unfortunately there will be no peace on earth and we see that today there is no peace on earth everywhere we look there's conflict there's a problem there's chaos there's something that we have to fix there's something that's just destroying the peace right there is no peace here on earth but Thanks be to Jesus Christ and his courageous willingness to go to the slaughter and be and and, and his work on the cross to be that perfect lamb of, of God who takes away the sin of the earth. There is peace in heaven. There is reconciliation between us and God. So we may not experience that peace here on earth, but for those who have received the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are reconciled to God and they experience that everlasting peace, which is actually way better than just experiencing peace here on earth. Peace, everlasting peace in heaven, that matters. You know how long everlasting is? Eternity is a long time. It is much longer than you even think and can imagine it is. You know, compared to the temporal world that we live in, this is nothing. Earth is nothing compared to eternity. And yet Jesus doesn't bring the peace here on earth, but rather for eternity. It's way better, evangelically speaking, way more bummer. <laughs> Amen. You know, we have to understand this. We have to know this. Romans 5, chapter one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to be glory be to him. The appeal today is as Paul puts it, and I love the way he puts it very simply in 2 Corinthians 520 on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the appeal for everyone. On behalf of Christ be reconciled to God when you're reconciled to someone you have peace with that person so there may be someone that you can think of that you've been quarreling with or bumping heads with the moment you actually reconcile with the person you're able to have free conversation with that person you're able to hang out with them in peace because before that if you ever cross paths it's kind of awkward right but when you're reconciled to that person there's peace there's relationship you can start fresh This is the kind of relationship that we have to have with our God. We need to be reconciled to God because I'll tell you one thing. It's okay for anybody in this world to be your enemy. Trust me, it's fine. You do not want to be God's enemy. You do not want to be in enmity with God. That is the literal worst thing that you could ever do, (laughs) right? Is to be in enmity with God. So be reconciled to him. How do you do that? Through Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, You accept his salvation, you receive it and you submit to him and you walk according to his will and his word. And you are counted as righteous through the blood of the lamb and you are reconciled to Christ. And you are no longer condemned to your sin, but you're free, you're saved and you experience peace in heaven. Isn't that amazing? This is our God. This is our king. This is the one who comes in and people are shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. But here's the thing. They were expecting something different. They, don't, they weren't thinking of the eternal. They were thinking of the temporal, right? They were thinking that Jesus would come in and he would remove their oppressors who were them at the time. It was the Romans. The Roman empire came and they took control of, of Israel. And, and, and actually, Israel had a good compared to other nations that they had conquered, you know? But they were expecting that Jesus would come, that the Messiah would come and liberate them from those oppressors, from the Romans. They weren't thinking big. They were thinking small. They also expected Jesus to come and establish his kingdom then and there. You see how they had these expectations that just weren't met? You know, how often do we expect things of God? We have these preconceived notions that, hey, this is who I understand God to be. Therefore, he should be doing what I think he should be doing. And if he doesn't do things the way that we imagine he should be doing, we're very disappointed, and some of us even shake our fists at heaven and say, God, wow, why dare? How dare you? You know, not thinking that the ways of the Lord are not our ways. They're different, they're higher, they're better. And it takes us some time to even be able to conceive that because our minds are finite and we're trying to understand this infinite being, you know? And so these people are thinking that Jesus would come and do what they were expecting him to do, what they wanted him to do. Not, not only for the fulfillment of the prophecy, but because this event would trigger and force Jewish authorities to act, Jesus allows it. So he knows what's going on. Jesus knows what's going on and he allows it. He permits it because there's something important that needs to happen out of this. The religious leaders, we need to take them off <laughs> enough to get them to do what they don't want to do in the moment, and that is to kill Jesus. And so, <clears throat> the Jews had hoped to address Jesus or to arrest Jesus, excuse me, after the Passover. But God had ordained his son to be, the, to be slain on the Passover. God had ordained his son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as described in John 1.29. And every previous attempt to arrest Jesus had failed because his hour had not yet come. But now after this huge public display of praise to the king, they had no choice but to act. All right. This is amazing. Now, let me show you the heartbreak here. These, these new few sections are going to be a little bit more brief, so hang with me. Now, the heartbreak. The crowds were rejoicing. Most of them were focused on the things of this world and their expectations for Jesus to overthrow the Romans was there. But Jesus was heartbroken. When we read this passage, in fact, let's read it together. 41 through 45 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. They had no idea. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side and tear you to the ground. And you and your children within you, they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, this is the second time that Jesus publicly weeps. The first time was when his friend Lazarus dies. And now this moment, because he realizes the condition of the people's heart. They realize, he realizes what they're wanting, what they're expecting, and that they don't see it. They're missing it. You know, let's not be like, let's please not miss it. Let's please focus and press in on what the Lord has for us. You know, and, and, and let's move according to his will. Like, God, what is it that you have in my life? Because sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes it seems like you're so distant and so far. These people were probably thinking the same thing. The Messiah is here. Why wouldn't he do what he would do? Why? Well, because his plans are not our plans. His plans are far greater than that. And Jesus saw this and he wept. And he mourned for them because he knew Lord, that, 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 that what would happen to these people. He lamented like, like uh, the prophet Jeremiah did, if you remember him. He wept bitterly over the destruction of Jerusalem. And unlike Jonah, who wanted his enemies to be destroyed, Jesus wept at the idea that they would be destroyed because he knew what was going to happen, because he was a compassionate and loving king, because he had love for his creation. You know, this breaks the Lord's heart when we walk in sin, when we are separated by His will. It breaks the Lord. It really grieves Him, you know, and, and yet He's there. He's attentive to us. But here's the thing, though. Jesus had a full perspective on what was going on, and He wept for so many reasons. And one is because He knew exactly what would happen to Jerusalem. Now, you may not know this, but 70 years later, 70 A.D., the Romans ransacked Jerusalem, and it was the most devastating thing that they had ever seen. In fact, Jesus said that that one stone would stand on top of another in this situation. And this still stands true today. The temple had been destroyed a few times before, but it had been rebuilt. This time, it is still not rebuilt. You can go to Israel today in Jerusalem. You can see Temple Mount. There's no temple there. What do you see? You see a Muslim mosque. Okay. Jesus knew what was going on here. He knew that they were missing it. Guys, our King, we have access to our King. We have access to the Holy Spirit. We have been reconciled to Him. We are able to have relationship with Him. Let's not miss that. There's nothing worth more than being reconciled to our King. This is the call today. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. Now 600 Jews died from that event in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed. And the temple of God, as I mentioned already, is still not there. Now, why did this happen? John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They did not see that God was with them. They did not notice Emmanuel. Now, let's look at the cleansing. And this is just a beautiful piece of, of scripture here, 45 through 46. Now, this right here, Jesus is continuing to stir up the hive, if you would. And so he goes into the the temple and he goes into this section called the court of Gentiles, which is the first thing that you see. There's the outer walls and then you see the court of Gentiles. This is the only place that Gentiles were allowed to enter. Anything further than that, you were not allowed to go there if you were a Gentile. But this was the perfect place to minister to a Gentile. This is the perfect place to speak of the true and living God. The God who delivered the Israelites from the bondage of slavery, right? And instead of doing such a thing, they're using it as a marketplace. The priests permit a marketplace here. Why? Because during the Passover, many would come from their distant lands to bring sacrifice to the Lord. And so what you would need to bring a sacrifice to the Lord is a, 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 an animal approved for the sacrifice. And so what they did is they, they set up an exchange of currency right there in the court of Gentiles. And so they would exchange money and take, a, take an interest for that, take some kind of fee for doing that. In other words, your currency is not good enough for us, so you have to get our currency, but there's a fee for that, so go ahead and make Make your exchange there. And then you could also do another thing. You can also purchase a pre-approved animal for sacrifice. These have been cleared. You see this marketplace that's happening here? Instead of having this beautiful opportunity to, to minister to others, they're taking advantage of others. Now, I love how this, this theologian says, as Warren Weersby says this, instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. We need to be very careful about how we use our Christianity, our belief. You know, we need to make sure that we represent Christ and we do everything for his glory and not ours, because it is costly to pick up our cross and follow him. Right. And we must do things that will honor him and not for our personal gain. He will take care of us. That's his promise. And we need to be confident and trust him in that. The temple was being used to do the opposite of what it was meant for. Jesus described it to be a den of robbers. A den of robbers, you know what that means? That means that any robber, you, when, you, when you go and commit a crime, you gotta, you got to have somewhere to go to afterwards, right? We did movie night, uh... A couple weeks ago with the, bat, the, what are the bad guys They had this place where all their loot was stored. That's the den of robbers. The den of robbers is you would, where you would go and that would be your safe haven after you've committed the crime. He's saying that the temple is being used as a den of robbers. What, are you, what, are we, what is he pointing out here? He's saying that many, uh, they were using the cover of the temple in the name of God to cover up their sin. And that's a very important thing to note, to understand, is we must not do that. And I'm sure that many of us have done something like it, but we probably can't think of those moments. I'm going to tell you a quick little story, okay? I've done this before. I've I've repented. Don't worry. I think I was in middle school or early high school. I don't know. I wanted to go to a concert with my friends. There was no way my mom and dad would let me go to this kind of concert. This was like, I don't know if you guys have heard of ska. It's like punk rock with a bunch of horns, and it's crazy, and you would go in, and there's all kinds of wild things and mosh pits going on. If you don't know what a mosh pit is, you can Google that. <laughs> and I wanted to go to this thing. There's no way my mom and dad would let me go to this. And so what did I do? I used the cover of the gospel. And I said, Mom, my friend's invited me to his youth group Friday night. They're going to have a cool time. And, and he's even offering me a ride. So he'll pick me up, and he'll drop me off because it's going to be a neat thing. It's going to be Bible study and then games and fellowship can I go? Let me talk to your dad. Okay, Brandon, you can go. Who's going with you again? Oh, it's my friend Josh. Okay. And his dad's driving you? Yes, his dad's driving you. Okay. Have a great time. Okay. And so I go and I put my church clothes on. And so I have my my khakis and my button-up shirt and everything. And I look like I'm going to church. Bye, mom, dad. Thank you so much. And I go to this concert and I kid you not, I'm sticking out like a sore thumb because everyone's wearing black and studs. Right. And they have mohawks and my hair is done nicely. Believe it or not, I had hair. And I was dressed up to go to church. All I could do was unbutton my outer shirt. Right. And here I was in mosh pits, just having a grand old time in a place that I did not belong. And I did that under the cover of the Lord. Do you see that? That sometimes we justify our actions. Sometimes we justify our behaviors under the cover of the Lord. And Jesus does not allow that. Praise be to God who opposes sin. He's so perfect, so holy that when he comes near us, our sin is exposed. And then we're able to see the filthiness of what we have. And he cleanses us. And this is the picture that we see here. Jesus comes in and he cleanses the temple. He doesn't just remove the impurities that are in there. Right. He doesn't just take it out, but he cleanses the temple with his very presence. His presence is there. And now he's teaching and he's changing lives. And he's there when Jesus is in our hearts, when he's in our soul, when he's Lord. Oh, there's this cleansing that happens. And then we begin to realize our sin more and more and more, which brings us to repentance, which brings us to understand the gravity of our sin and the beautiful beautiful salvation that we have through Christ. When we don't realize that the cross doesn't really mean much, but when we realize what the Lord's saving us from, then it means everything. And so with his presence, he cleanses us. And so here's the other thing that I think is amazing. He was teaching daily in the temple and the chief priest could not find anything to accuse him because this man was the image of truth. How can you have anything against him? And so They had nothing on him. They had nothing on the perfect lamb of God, nothing. And so what had to happen? This courageous king who brings peace had to give himself up. He had to come up with the way that he did to be able to be crucified because there was literally nothing that was condemning about him. He was innocent. And so he gives himself up. Now I say courageous king, would you give yourself up for anyone? There is literally no greater love than this, than he who gave his life up for his friends. Maybe for those whom we love, we might be able to die for. But even those who we despise and are our enemies, oh, no, I would not do that. And then he walks into Jerusalem knowing what he was doing. He walks and he brings his disciples with him. I imagine if I were Peter, or one of the 12, I'd be shivering, thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to Jerusalem. That's where they hate me the most right? But Jesus courageously walks knowing what is about to happen. And he knows that he needs to die and he's going to. And that's a beautiful expression of his love for us. No one, no one can love you more than that. And let's not miss it. Let's be reconciled to the Lord. Let us see what he has done. This is why this entry into Jerusalem is so triumphant because of what is about to follow from here. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for allowing us to see, Lord, the purposes, the plans, Father, the preparations that you had made, Lord Jesus, to be able to be reconciled to God. Help us not miss it. Help us be able to press into you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father the beautiful sacrifice that is found in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes the sin of the world. We love you. We praise you. And we rejoice and we sing Hosanna to the King. Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.